Amen. Thank you, Pastor Holmes. Appreciate the opportunity to preach. And uh, I never take it for granted. We have the Word of God and we can look at it. And the Holy Spirit gives us ability to understand it. And so we praise the Lord for that. When we look at this passage, uh, we look at it and we see that the first part of verse number 20 says, Now the God of peace. And then the last part of verse 21 says, To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, this God of peace, our God of peace, deserves and will have glory forever and ever. We see in Revelation 19.1, and after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto who? The Lord our God. We read and you see throughout scripture that God will receive glory forever and ever and ever and ever. And I could say that forever, right? Now, I've talked to some older preachers and and the the pastor that I I grew up at the church. And I was actually talking to him recently. And one of the things he said is that his generation really grew up and then they would listen to someone. They would listen to preaching and they would say, and they would just be like, yes, that's good. That's good preaching. And they would just take it. But he says what he sees with the younger generation, my generation and younger, is as they come up, they will hear something and you will say something and they'll say, okay, why? Why? Now, I've heard that question many times and I've asked that question many times. And when someone asks why, it can be asked in different ways. My parents, as I was growing up, know how the wrong way it is to ask. They would say something, and I would say, why? I'm asking, I, asked, I would ask the question with disrespect, challenging their authority. Now, the same question can be asked, why, as in, you go and do this. May I ask why? With respect. It's not a bad thing to ask why. And so what we're going to do tonight is is here the writer of Hebrews makes a claim that, listen, God will receive glory forever and ever. He deserves glory forever and ever. And we're just going to say, why? Now, we're not going to cover it extensively. There's going to be a lot more to the answer that you can get throughout the scriptures to answer this question than what we're going to look at tonight. But we're simply going to see what the writer of Hebrews wrote simply in verse 20. And 21 of Hebrews 13. All right? So I'm going to try to preach semi-quickly. Because if I say quickly, that's way too fast. But semi-quickly so we can get back to root beer floats at least before 10 o'clock. All right? So first off, the reason that the writer of Hebrews says that God receives, needs to receive glory, deserves the glory, is first off because of his character. His character. Hebrews 13, 20 says, Now the God of peace. The God of peace that brought again from the dead the Lord, the Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. We see, first of all, that he, he's a God of peace. Now, the word peace is found 92 times, that, that Greek word, 92 times throughout Scripture, mostly as, and it's mostly translated as peace. Sometimes, though, it's translated as rest, and then one time as quietness. When you think about what peace means, 
It means a state of tranquility or calm or quietness of spirit that transcends circumstances. Listen, when my kids were gone with my in-laws for a week, there was peace throughout the house for a week. It was, it, it was good. Now, when the kids come back, listen, that actually doesn't mean that the peace goes away. It just means that even despite the activity, and I will say the activity, my kids are just active kids, despite the activity, there's still peace. Just because, listen, if you say your peace depends on whether or not you can be alone, then you don't really have peace. We think about the world. The world, listen, the world has no peace. As the sands of the world's wisdom shift under their feet, they constantly turn on one another. Listen, if they don't have anything to fight, they just they look for something to fight. They're all standing up together on one thing, and then the sands shift, and now the people who are standing up for this one thing all along, now they're, now they're fighting each other. The world... Listen, the world has no peace. The world says, in order to have peace, you need to get alone. You need to clear your mind. If, if that was the true definition of peace, I'd be a little worried. Because I don't know about you, but it's kind of hard to find time to get alone and clear your mind. But Jesus doesn't say get alone and clear your mind. He says fill your mind with him. We talked about the last time I preached. But God, he's a God of peace, and he's a God who can give us his peace. We see in James 1.8, it says, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. But you go a couple chapters later, and it says, James 4.8, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hand, ye sinners, and purify your heart, ye, what? Double-minded. You see, when we, when we are double-minded, in other words, we're trying to, to think about and do the things of God, but we're also trying to hold on to the world. That doesn't work. Christians who are like this, listen, those are the most miserable people in the world. They're trying to hold on to both instead of letting go of the world. God says, let go. Just cling to him. We see just so many verses in the Bible that God says he's going to give us peace. It's just, it's such a wonderful promise. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Man. What a wonderful promise that we can depend on him for our peace. And it's not, again, it's not the peace that the world is trying to give us. It's a supernatural peace, again, that transcends circumstances. Ephesians 2.14, for he is our peace. And here's, I think, one of the keys to peace. Who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Listen, God, God unifies. There's a unity. You think about why does the world not have peace? They're not unified. Listen, they're not unified. Oh, they, they, they're, well, they're unified against God. Maybe, maybe, but at the same time, they're not unified at anything else. 
There's no unity in the world. Satan, all he wants is to pull people apart and to divide and divide and divide and divide. God is the one who brings people together as one in Christ. You think about what it says in 1 Peter 1, 2 Peter 1, 2, grace and peace be multiplied, be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, if you want to have more peace, get to know the God that you serve. Get to know the God that you love because the more you know him, the more peace you'll be able to have because you'll know who he is. You'll know what he does and it will guide you through the most difficult times. You know, think about, again, the fact that God is a God of peace. Can I tell you, the fact that God's a God of peace would mean absolutely nothing if he also wasn't a powerful God. You see in Romans 6.20, it says, And the God of peace what shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of God are... The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Luke eleven twenty one. 21, it says, When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. You think about it in a worldly sense, really, for a little while now, especially just in my lifetime, there have been conflicts that have popped up. There's conflicts in the world now. But overall, there's been a peace about the world. And one of the reasons for that peace is because America is stronger than everyone else. And especially, you look at when there is a strong presence in the White House, and there's talking, again, as far as America, things just quiet down even more. There's, there, there's, a, there's a, a sense of peace, and there's been stability in the world. Why? Because America is strong. Now, here's the thing. We look at God... <laughs> America has no chance against God if, if America would oppose him. You look at Hebrews 13, 20. We're looking at what, what, what the writer of Hebrews says. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. God has the power to raise people up again. You know they've tried in labs time and time and time and time and time to create life or to bring back life. And you know what they can't do? They can't do that. They can't. God's power surpasses that of every superpower on earth combined. Listen, we can praise the Lord and we can glorify. And he deserves glory because of his power. If he didn't have power, listen, it wouldn't matter, again, if he was a God of peace. Think about my kids. My kids, every, they, they always want snacks. They just ate dinner. Charlie comes out of, you know, the dinner. He comes in the living room. He's like, I'm hungry. Can I have a snack? And every once in a while, I say, yeah, you can have a snack. And I give him something. And there was one time I, give him, I gave him a, a Nestle Crunch. It was just a little while ago. And, he, and I gave it to him. I said, like, go ahead and open it. And he took it. And he was trying to open it. He's trying to open it. And, trying to, and he, he could not. He could not, for the life of him, open it. Listen, he wanted to eat it. He really, really wanted to eat it. But it didn't matter. Because if daddy didn't open it, it would still be in the wrapper to this day. Listen, a desire, the want to do something means nothing if you don't have the power to do it. And praise the Lord, though, God has the capacity to act. 
He has the capacity to act. And you think about his power. It's not comparable really even to anything. Ephesians 1, 19 through 21 says, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Far, listen, his power, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. You think about angels that are able to come down and kill 185,000 people in one night. Listen, his power is far above all of the angels combined times infinity, if you want to even go there. God's power is greater. Listen, The greatness of his power far surpasses the greatness of power of any contender that might challenge him. God is omnipotent. He is omnipotent. Psalm 115.3 says, But our God is in the heavens. He hath done what? Whatsoever he hath pleased. Jeremiah 32, 17. Oh, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm. And what? There is nothing, nothing that is too hard for thee. Matthew 19, 26. And Jesus beheld them and said, with men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. We serve a great and powerful God, and praise the Lord, he is a God of peace. He is worthy of glory because of his character. Number two, he is worthy of glory because of his conduct. Look again at Hebrews 13, 20. It says, now the God of peace that brought again again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We look at his conduct. Why is he, what, what does he do that makes him worthy of glory? First of all, he keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. Titus 1, 2, one of my favorite verses. I love to go and, and quote this when I'm, when I'm sharing with people about salvation and, and, and be, be honest, also about eternal security. It says, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot, what? Lie. Promised before the world began. There was a little girl one time, or two little girls one time that were playing, and they were counting their, their, their money, and they each had five cents in front of them. And there's this man, he was, he was kind of watching and kind of chuckling a little bit, but they counted, and they each counted, they each counted one, two, three, four, five. And the one little girl says, I have five pennies. And the other girl looked at, you know, counted one, Two, three, four, five. And she said, I have ten pennies. And the other little girl got mad. She's like, no, you don't. You have five pennies right there. See, one, two, three, four, five. And she said, no, you see, my dad said when he gets home, he's going to give me five pennies. And so if I have five pennies here, that means I have ten. She could trust her dad. She can trust his promise. And just like the little girl could trust her dad, we can trust our heavenly father. That any promise that he has given to us, he will fulfill. There's not one promise of his his, that has ever 
failed. William Carey said, and I think everyone knows this quote, the future is as bright as what? The promises of God. See, there are approximately 8,810 promises in the entire Bible. In the Old Testament, there are 7,706. And in the New Testament, there are 1,104. Just to let you know, someone else came up with that. Uh, I did not count. Now, Deuteronomy 28 has 133 promises, which is more than any other chapter in the Bible. Listen. No matter where you are, you can stand on the promises of God. You can stand on the promises of God. You think about someone who truly trusted God's promise. You think about Abraham, right? Romans 4, 20 through 21 says, He staggered not at what? The promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving what? Glory to God, being fully persuaded that when he, what he had promised, he was able also to perform. This goes back to his power. Listen, just because someone gives you their promise doesn't mean if they, if they, listen, if they don't have the power to do it, it ain't going to happen. But again, God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. And therefore, any promise that he gives, he will fulfill. He's, he, he's worthy of glory because he keeps his promises. He's also worthy of glory, listen, because he makes us perfect. He makes us perfect. Hebrews 13, 21, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Listen, there was a, a, a boy named Todd Maravich a while ago. His dad, from his birth, had the idea that he was going to be a NFL quarterback. And so from his birth, every single decision that that father made, he made for the purpose of his son, Todd Maravich, going to the NFL and playing in the NFL. He never had one hamburger. He never had one Twinkie. He never had one Oreo. Everything he ate was supposed to help him even go to the NFL. He went and he played for UFC. He was drafted in the first round by the Oakland Raiders. Here's the problem. As soon as he got out of his father's supervision, he got into drugs, he got into alcohol, he got into trouble, and he got into trouble, and he got into trouble, and he got into trouble. Listen, he was arrested so many times that the prison, every time he would get there, played Welcome Home Cotter because he got arrested so much that he had his own theme song for the prison. Listen, Todd's dad could control what he did, what he ate, and where he went. But Todd's dad could never control his heart. It's not just change on the outside that we need. What we need more is change on the inside. Romans 12, 2, and says, And be not conformed, pressed by the world outwardly. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, changed from within by the renewing of your mind, 
that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, listen, that we should walk in them. Listen, you, so many people think that when I get saved, that is all the working of God, then I have to try to get better as a Christian. And I have to try to get closer to God. I have to do this, and I have to do this, and I have to do this. No, listen, salvation and sanctification, drawing closer to God, are a work of God. The Holy Spirit works in you through time in his word. Listen, if you're not in his word, you are barring the Holy Spirit from being able to work in your life. If you're not meditating, if you're not, if you're not spending time thinking on the things of God, rather you're, you're spending time thinking on the things of the world, listen, the world is going to be what comes out. Not the Lord. But listen, when we meditate and spend the time in his word and spend time with him and, and think on him and think on him and think on, think on him, the Holy Spirit then uses that and the Holy Spirit changes us. We don't change ourselves. I'll never forget when I was younger. Listen, I'm going to tell my dad a little bit, but he'll be okay with it. I know he will. Before my dad got saved, there's not a person on this planet that had a worse mouth than him. Just saying. But he trusted Christ. And listen, things changed. We were sitting at home one night, and my dad was in the kitchen, I think, washing dishes. And my sister just looked at him and said, Dad, you don't swear anymore. Listen, my dad never even thought about it. It wasn't something that my dad actually tried to change. It just happened. Why? Because he was in God's word. He was in church. He was thinking on the things of God. And God changed him without him even thinking about, this is what I want to change. It wasn't until my sister brought it up that he even realized that he didn't talk that way anymore. God changed him. And listen, God can change you. He has the power to do so. And because of that, listen, to God belongs the glory. Listen, he's worthy of glory because of his character. He's worthy of glory because of his conduct. He's also worthy of glory, lastly, because of his coronation. Look at Hebrews 13, verse 20 and 21. It says, now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that, that great shepherd of the sheep. That's what we're going to look at right here. That great shepherd of the sheep. What are you talking about? That's not a king. Listen. A servant to a king, in my opinion, is closer to the king than a shepherd is to, the sheep is to the shepherd. Okay? The, the sheep can't even talk back. <laughs> the shepherd's in just complete and utter control. God is king of kings. He is lord of lords. Listen, the sheep simply hear him and they follow Praise the Lord, he's a good king. John 10, 1, 10 through 11 says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. He says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. 
First Timothy 6, 13 through 15 says, I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things. And before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that though that, that thou keep his commandments without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his time he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of Lords. In the year 14, 1014 through 1035, there was a English, uh, in England, there was a Danish king named Canute. King Canute uh, was tired of he- hearing his retainers flatter him with extravagant praises and greatness, power and invincibility. So he ordered that his throne be set down at the seashore, where he proceeded to continually command the waves to stop. And after sitting there for hours and hours and hours, one historian tells us that he, because he could not get the waves to stop, he never wore his crown again. In fact, it's said that he hung his crown on a statue of Jesus. Listen, it doesn't matter how powerful a king or president or prime minister is. They're not more powerful than Jesus. Jesus is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Revelation 19, 15 through 16, it says, And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he shall tread the winepresses of the fierceness of it in wrath of almighty God. And he, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the eternal king. Listen, he's not just king. He's the permanent king. He's the permanent king. It says again, the end of verse 21, it says, To whom be glory forever and ever. Now, growing up, my childhood, I was born during the Reagan era. I don't remember Reagan being president at all. The first president I remember is Bill Clinton. And I remember, and I, like, I, like what I remember is back even to the, the, the start of his first term. And then going forward, you know, being a young kid, it seems like he was just always president. Like he, he just always been, he was a fixture for me in the White House. And I didn't know obviously anything about politics at that point. So when it came time that he could no longer be president, even at a young age, listen, there was like, wait, wait. He can't be president anymore? Like, why? Who's going to be president? Like, what's going to happen? Like, listen, even as a young kid, when he could no longer be president, I, I was a little like, what? I was uncertain. I was unsure. And to be honest, I think I've been a little uncertain and unsure at, at every election still since then. <laughs> I don't have to worry about an election with God. I don't have to be worried about an election with Jesus Christ. There's no election. There's no end of term. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords forever. Psalm 9, 7 7 through 12 says, But the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment, and he shall judge the world in righteousness. he He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in the time of trouble. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, O Lord, hath not forsaken them 
that seek thee. Sing praises to the Lord which dwelleth in Zion. Declare among his people his doings. When he maketh the inquisition for blood, he remembereth them, and he forgetteth not the cry of the humble. Look, this God who, who can do everything, who, who can do anything he wants to, who wants to do good for us, shall reign forever, shall endure forever. Revelation eleven fifteen. And the seventh angel sounded, and there was great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of the world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign, what? Forever and ever. Listen, we know the character of our king. And we can readily access his, his word and read the law by which he rules. We can know what he will do, how he will rule. And we don't have to worry about the next king because he is the first and the last. He will reign forever and ever and we have peace because we know that his power is infinite. And because his, pa- his power is infinite, his promises will never fail. Not a single one of them. And so when we look at these verses, and we see the writer say, listen, to whom be glory forever and ever. God deserves glory. It is, we can look back and it is easy to say, yeah, he does because of who he is and what he does. He deserves all the glory. We can praise the Lord that there's one day that we get to stand before this King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I believe when the Bible talks about in Revelation the great chorus of voices singing, that we will join in and we will get to sing Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God.